one back. All right, here we go. All right, so I, I kind of want to start a little bit talking about your journey into MMA. Um, I'm sure a lot of the interviews you've had, people are talking about, you know, Calvin and, and Rob. So, But I'd like to start a little bit and talking about you and what got you into MMA. Obviously, you have some fights as well. Um, so what ultimately led you to the sport? So I, uh, I wrestled in high school and then um, went to college and just wanted to stay active. So I played lacrosse and uh, just kind of picked it up, did it for a little bit, stay active, and then coached lacrosse in grad school. I got my MBA. And then I got out and I just had this like void. Like I just missed being on a team. I missed competing. And uh, I remember seeing like UFC on TV. And um, <clears throat> I remember uh, thinking like, oh, it'd be fun to just do jiu-jitsu. You know, get back into grappling a little bit. And then uh, my girlfriend's mom at the time was like, oh, there's a, a club down the street. So I went and tried it and um, just kind of got hooked. And one of the guys I was, you know, just doing, you know, rolling with, he uh, was getting ready for a fight. He asked me if I'd spar a little bit. I didn't even know what sparring was. And and then he had me corner him for his first fight. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll do one fight. And this is probably back in 2005, 2006 is when I started. And uh, I was like, maybe I'll just do one fight. And then. I ended up overall having 15 fights, and as I was doing that, just little by little, started uh, you know cornering a lot of my teammates, started getting a lot of them fights. You know, guys like Rob and uh, other uh, you know some of his teammates just started getting them fights, and uh, it just kind of happened. It's it's funny because every time I talk to uh, to or to UFC athletes in particular, like I spoke to Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, who just she's four and zero, up and coming. She started uh, MMA about six months ago. And same sort of thing. It was just, you know, she saw two people fighting and was like, I'd like to try this, give it a go. And then I find a lot of um, MMA fighters end up finding it simply by like by accident, which is kind of which is kind of neat. Because usually when you think about like football, it's like you're passionate about it from a young age and you follow that route. But with MMA, it's a bit different. Yeah, it uh, definitely wasn't something I planned on doing. Um, no, no, I wasn't like into you know fist fighting when i was growing up getting in fights on the playground or any sort of trouble i was like real cautious so when i got into mma a lot of people were uh like pretty surprised that i would even do it and um yeah it's just it's a challenge yourself kind of you know it's because it's scary man it's not it's not like scary getting hit or anything like that but it's more of like a fear of like you know putting it all out there in front of a group of people you don't even know that are in the crowd you know getting you know getting in a fist fight in your underwear and you know it's it's kind of wild it's, it's a little you know humbling at times and it's also like you know it's a good like it's just a good challenge to kind of feel that rush and go through a whole camp get in shape be disciplined and then go out there and test yourself it is very personal like if you lose it's on you you know like you get humiliated in front of everybody whereas if like with if you're playing football and you lose there's 30 guys 40 guys so it's not as embarrassing almost and same sort of thing on in victory if you win it almost it's all on you as well obviously you have coaches and stuff like that but uh, the glory really falls on the on the fighter from a from a fighter's perspective i mean you're eight years out since your last fight do you miss that aspect at all or are you you know i've moved on from that i'm i'm into coaching and, and managing now oh i never had like any delusions of going to the ufc or anything like that because i didn't have my first fight till i was like 30 um, I didn't get into it till I was like, what, 26 or something like that. So I never had any, um, you know, I wasn't like one of these young kids that gets in now. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get rich off this and uh, go to the UFC. Like, it wasn't like a thing back then. It was just like, I want to challenge myself. And so I think it was, you know, I had different goals in the sport. And um, 
So I don't think it was like something to really miss. It was something I was doing to challenge myself. And then as I was doing that, like I realized like, wow, I really enjoy helping these other fighters get ready, whether it be helping them uh, find fights or helping them get, you know, get ready for a fight or cornering them on fight night. Like I just kind of fell in love with the whole process. And, um, you know, I really feel like I was starting to make an impact on other people. And then I saw these young people that were in there, you know, guys like Rob Font and that kind of came in and they weren't like special at all. They were just like another guy in the room. And then, you know, little by little, we keep making these improvements each camp. And, you know, then all of a sudden they're turning pro and then they're winning some pro fights. And, you know, then fast forward now, all of a sudden they're in the UFC. And it's just kind of, it was just like a thing I did to help my friends. And then it turned into, you know, an actual career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm sure these past few months have been some of the hardest from a coaching and manager's perspective. You have pandemic, the world's at a standstill. I find one of the hardest things, and how do you keep these fighters motivated? You know, like, you're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to fight. Sports aren't sports aren't up. How do you get them to be like, okay, you got to keep training. You got to stay on weight. Something might come up. How do you motivate them and prepare them for a fight that may or may not even happen? I think there's like two different hats that I'm wearing. One is a coach and one is a manager. So like with Rob and Calvin, you know, I'm their coach and their manager. And then there's a bunch of other guys that I manage and I might help coach them a little bit and give them some tips and stuff at training sessions, but I'm not their head coach. Um, so with Rob and Calvin, like as their coach, like I don't have to motivate them. Like they're where they're at because they're self-motivated. And that's nice. As a coach, if, if you have to, especially in this sport, if you have to start motivating your fighters, they're probably not people you should be investing time in. And, um, you know, I've made the mistakes of, of some of the most talented guys I've ever been around just aren't as motivated as, as you would like them to be. And you can't want it more than they do. You know, that's a saying that me and some of my uh, coaching colleagues will kind of uh, bounce around is like, I, I can't want it more than the fighter does. If I do, huge red flag, I just should put my time and invest it into somewhere else. You know, if they're not willing to invest it in themselves, it's not fair for me to take time away from someone else and put it in them too. So, um you know, guys like Calvin and Rob, you don't have to motivate them. Like, if anything, you have to kind of pull the reins a little bit and pump the brakes because they're going to overtrain, you know, so it's just about being smart. But when I put my manager hat on, that's where it gets a little tricky with the, you know, the, like you said, like, hey, just keep training, something could come up. And that, and that's where it's a lot of like, I don't want to say handholding because that's, a, you know, kind of has a negative connotation to it, but it's a lot of like reassurance and like, hey, just, you know, just trust the process. Like, you know, this, you know, you're kind of in MMA purgatory right now, like, especially with no local MMA going on right now, I have a couple guys going nuts. And, um, you know, you can feel the pressure, like maybe they're frustrated with me, but it's not, they're, they're not really frustrated with me, they're frustrated with the situation. And um, you feel for them, because you want to give them a good answer, you want to be like, hey, man, you know, the next fights in, you know, six weeks, but it's, it's not, you know, we don't know, you know, especially right now, there could be another round of shutdowns and just more restrictions. So we don't really know what's going to happen. And it's, and it's easy for the guy that's not cutting weight and not trying to peak to tell the guy that is, Hey, just keep training. Just, you know, be ready to go. And, um, some people will be ready to go and some people won't, you know, and at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to look in the mirror every day. When, when that call comes, I always say this, like, you know, you're going to go to bed the night, night before a fight. You know, you've weighed in that morning. The weight cut's done. You have a full belly. You're going to go to bed that night. You're going to put your head on your pillow. It's just going to be you in the room. And you're the one that's going to have to live with those thoughts of, like, did I do enough? I wish I would have done more of this. I'm glad I did this. Like, whatever those doubts are, those little things that say, like, I wish I would have done more, 
six weeks ago, backtrack into that. Like, all right, what are those doubts that I think I'm going to have? Like, now let's make sure I don't have those doubts. And um, those guys got to get up every day, look in the mirror and know that when that call comes, they're either going to be ready for it and excited or like, oh, crap, I wish I had done more. And um, the guys that are ready, those are, you know, that that's the champions in the future are those guys. It's not the guys that, oh, well, I guess we'll see what happens and, you know, we'll make the best of it. And, you know, I'll, I'll get the shot and then at least get one more. So the, the guys that are always going to look in the mirror and be ready, those are the guys that, you know, you kind of want to get in bed with and, and, and go all in and, you know, take it on this journey like I am with Robin Calvin right now. No one's been more ready than Calvin. I mean, since the pandemic, he's the first fighter to get two wins. And uh, the first one was ultra impressive. Um, incredible finish over veteran Jeremy Stevens. And then this past weekend against Dan Ige, a uh, very, very dominant win, I thought. I had it four rounds to one. Um, I thought he looked super impressive. But there was a lot of, with the uh, with the Jeremy Stevens fight, you know, it was supposed to happen at an earlier date, and then it got pushed. Describe that, and describe that from both a coach's and a manager's perspective. And, and, and how did Calvin take that? As in, like, was he like, okay, well, well, we'll have to just run it back, or we'll push it at a later date? Um, I'm sure... Knowing him, I'm sure he was all for it. Um, but describe describe all that and the the difficulties you had with that. Yeah, I mean, we started getting that that call in December about, hey, we looks like we're going to fight Jeremy Stevens, but we needed to get clearance for an injury that we had. We still needed to get ortho clearance, so like we kind of went into like a little bit of training for a few weeks, not even knowing if we were going to get cleared to fight. And then we went, and we saw the ortho, they cleared us to fight, and then it was supposed to be March seventh. And then you know, week one of like official camp oh, the fight's probably getting moved, um, hold tight. And then, you know, it's another week of training like that. And it's going to be April 18th. All right, let's get ready for that. And then the pandemic hits and it's like, well, let's keep training because we're the only card that's not canceled. So you're training the whole time for a fight that you don't even know if it's going to happen in a location that's to be determined. Um, during a pandemic when we really didn't know how bad the disease was and like if everybody was just going to die or how contagious, we really didn't know. So it was just like the circle kept getting smaller. These doors just kept shutting in our faces. But, you know, we didn't get discouraged. Calvin didn't get discouraged. He showed up at all the sessions. He kept dieting. And then um, finally it got, you know, it was announced that it was going to be in Atachi Palace. And then uh, about a week before we're about to fly out, you know, probably four days before we're about to fly out, the show gets canceled. And then it's like, hey, you're definitely not fighting at least till June. And then we're like, all right, so you know, Calvin was like, no, let's keep training. Like, I'm going to double down on this. Like, let's keep going. So, you know, he ate a little bit on, the, on Easter weekend that, you know, the next day he was at my house lifting. And um, then he did a little bit, you know, with his family for Easter. And then that next Monday we got the call, actually, it's May 9th. And we we're like, all right, let's just keep going. And, you know, and then we had that fight and Jerry missed weight. And, you know, he just took it all in stride. And, you know, I think this pandemic's really brought in the, the best and the worst out of people. There's a lot of people that are, uh, using this time to level up and take advantage of uh, everybody else's, you know, time off. And, and then there's people that have been kind of like use it as an excuse to pull back. And, um, you know, when this thing's all said and done, there's, there's going to be people that are in line for title shots that might not have been, you know, six months ago. And, and there's going to be people that might've been in, in line for a title shot six months ago and now, are, you know, are at the back of the line. So I think Calvin is, um, you know, the former he's, He's taken this pandemic. He's the only fighter in the UFC, like you said, to go 2-0. <laughs> and now he's, um, aside from the champion, he's the only fighter in the featherweight division that has three wins over top 10 people since nine, since uh, 2019. So I think he's, uh, he's definitely leveled up. He's shown a blueprint to, 
you know, some of my younger fighters of like how you handle adversity, how you handle uncertainty and truly how to be a professional. You know, we have a saying on our team. It's, it's, you know, focus on what you can control. Like I'll try to control all the bullshit on the back end and, and figure out like how we can control more. But at the end of the day, like you show up, you listen and you work hard and, and that's all we can control. And it's, and it's a Bill Belichick mindset. It's like one session at a time. It's like, all right, we don't know what's going to happen a month, but I do know this morning we're wrestling. So let's put in a hundred percent. And then after that, we'll worry about the next session. And, and Calvin really does embrace that. And I think some of these younger fighters, you know, Calvin was 14 and two before he got in the UFC. And, you know, he dealt with a lot of adversity before that. He dealt with some injuries. He dealt with time off. He dealt with, you know, uh, owning a business in his personal life, you know, having like adult bills and, and all that stuff. And then some of these younger kids, you know, they get up, it's 18, 19, and they get to 3, 4, and 0, oh, and, and, and they start to think like it should be handed to them, you know. And then at the end of the day, like some of those people should, you know, the Macy Barbers of the world, they've earned that too. Um, it's not a knock on her. Like she got in really young. She's uh, obviously very talented. But there's a lot of other people who are kind of that same age and they see, oh, well, Macy Barber did it. This person did it. Like, why didn't I get my shot? I feel disrespected. And then you see them questioning their team and questioning like, oh, you know, do I have the right manager? Do I have the right coach? Do I need to go to this mega camp? And I think um, there's no patience, you know, you know, Calvin even says like, man, like these guys don't know how good they have it. Like with having like contender series and stuff like that, you know, it used to be back in the day, you'd have to wait for the ultimate fighter and hope that they'd do your weight class within the three years that you were still fighting on the local circuit. But nowadays it's like every summer, every little prospect, you get to four five and oh, and you're probably going on the contender series and getting paid five and five. Whereas someone like Calvin Cater was scrapping around on the local circuit for 10 years getting 16 fights against some top quality competition, you know, for probably a thousand and a thousand. So, you know, these young kids, they don't really understand that the, um, the path they're crawling down, how easy it is versus what the fighters like Calvin and these other guys came up through, uh, you know, earning like a legitimate shot. Yeah. I mean, his, his rise is really reminding me a lot of Gilbert Burns where they're doing it the right way. They're fighting frequently they're not getting negative publicity. In a way, negative publicity is good publicity. I mean, you hear guys like Mike Perry, Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, like this negative attention that they're getting is really rising them to the top and getting them title shots. As a manager, how do you like get your fighters to just be like, look, do it the right way. It may take us an extra year. Do it the right way. Don't be negative. Don't don't start calling people out. Don't start doing negative things. How do you do that from a manager's perspective? And, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of these fighters are just like, why don't I just start calling people out? Because it gets attention. Well, I don't think it's necessarily like a negative way or a positive way. There's, I, I just think there's the organic way, which is just be yourself. If you're a guy that wants to call people out and, and talk crap, then go ahead and do it. It'll come off as authentic and then it'll be like, all right, I get this. This guy's kind of a badass or, you know, he's doing it. He's not putting on put it on an act. He's not being fake. He's not doing it because, oh, well, I saw that's what you're supposed to do. Um, those guys, you can see, see the, you know, through that pretty clearly. It's pretty transparent that they're just putting on a show. And then um, and then you can also kind of tell when guys are holding back and not being themselves too. So I, I always just coach them. Like, listen, just be yourself. Do what feels right. But don't do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. You know, obviously, you know, don't be inappropriate. Like, there's certain lines you can't cross. Like, you know, you're not going to start throwing out slurs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just do what feels right. If you want to call this guy out, you'd love to fight him, go ahead. Like, 
but don't call them out because someone told you you're supposed to call them out. Because, you know, it just, it looks fake. I, did, I think it doesn't resonate well with the fans or even the promotion. So I would just say, just be yourself. The right way is just be yourself and they're going to like you or they're not. I'd like to talk a little bit about both Calvin and then and then Rob. Obviously, Calvin's been the, the more active of the two since the pandemic. Like we said, he went 2-0, and super impressive, both against Ige and obviously Stevens uh, in super dominant fashion. I think it really plummets him to the top of the division. I mean, there almost seemed to be like a little bit of a line between that t- those top five, the Holloways, Ortegas, the Beats, and then the Calvins and the Emmets. I think this really plummets him up there. And in a way, it almost like leapfrogs him ahead of uh, the Ortegas, who hasn't who haven't been active, Zabit, who arguably Calvin could have beat if it went five rounds. Um, so I mean, there's a case for him to ha- almost have a title shot, especially if Volkanovski wants to uh, wants to stay busy. What do you want to see next for him? Do you want to see him take one, maybe one more fight, maybe against a Max Holloway, or are you like, man, if the title fight's there, take it? I mean, I think it'd be it'd be silly for us not to take a title fight if it presented itself. You know, if we're healthy. And, um, you know, I, if we're healthy, it makes sense, you know. It's, a, it's an opportunity to win a world title, which is Calvin's goal. It's, you know, we're, we always have these, like, checkpoints that we're looking to go to. And we just keep climbing this mountain. The view never gets any better, but we get hungrier. Um, you know, we're not satisfied with a win over Jeremy. We're not satisfied with a, a decision over Ige. Like, yeah, there's things that we can take out of it that were positive. Um but we're not done, you know, like we have these big goals. We have grand goals. Calvin's trying to set himself up to have a, you know, a prosperous future financially and, and build a legacy for, you know, for him and his family. And, and, you know, we're on the way to doing that, you know, and obviously a title, you know, once you win that, that UFC title, that that's never shipped. You're either champ or former champ the rest of your life. And uh, so it'd be silly for us to say no, um, if the opportunity presented itself, but, at the same time, if it doesn't present itself, then we get to challenge ourselves against someone else, like you know, a Max Holloway or an Ortega or something like that. Um, obviously, that's a that's a challenge as well. And I think a win over those guys almost guarantees you a title shot next. So I think we're looking at like one or two fights away, um, or maybe the next fight. You know, I think there's some things that are going to happen that are out of our control. Like like you said, does Alex want a very quick turnaround? If that's the case, who's available? It looks like. Yair and Zabit are fighting. Zombie and Ortega are fighting. And then Max is just sitting there. So if Max wants a quick turnaround, okay, well, then does the UFC really want that trilogy and and give him a rematch with different judges and see how it goes? Then maybe he gets it and we're sitting around. Or the UFC doesn't want to go down the trilogy route and Alex wants a quick turnaround. So maybe we skip the line, you know? You've seen it in the past where people get rewarded for uh, staying active. You know, Gilbert Burns. He was able to leapfrog, you know, was it Leon Edwards or uh, what's his name? Um, you know, you stay active, you beat good guys, and anything's possible, you know? So a lot of it, you know, is out of our control with, you know, some decisions that Alex and his team have to make and then the UFC and what direction they want to go with. But, yeah, man, I think we're right there, you know? Um, you know, you look at the guys in front of us just aren't active, you know? Mad respect to Alex. He's, he's shown the willingness to... He says he'll fight all comers. Like he wants prospects. He was, he, you know, he said in interviews he was watching Calvin's fight. You know, he was interested because he he's looking at the young prospects to see who's going to fight in the future, and he's down to fight whoever the UFC wants him to fight. You know, he'll take on prospects. He's he's ready. You know, so respect to him, and you know, he's an ultimate champion. And uh, and then Max Holloway is the best that's ever done it in the division. He's sitting right there too. So um, 
you know, those guys, they're, they're fighters. They fight. You know, it doesn't seem like they're scheming to get where they want to go. Um, whereas, you know, everybody else between us and them, man, these guys are like trying to handpick opponents. They're trying to stay active. They're trying not to do five round fights because they don't feel like they're in shape. We just did a five round fight on a month notice, you know, like we didn't ask for a three round main event. You know, we did a five round main event because that's what main events are supposed to do. You're supposed to be ready. Um, you know, and then these other guys taking a couple years off and then, you know, and I know some of it's because of the pandemic and, and different things, but you know, it's, you just got to stay busy, yeah. win fights, and good things are going to happen. So, you know, if we end up getting the Alex fight and we get to fight for a title and uh, bring a belt home to Boston finally, you know, we've earned it. And then if it doesn't happen, then then we're going to go and earn it with another fight. So it's, uh, you know, activity gets rewarded and you create momentum and then you ride it. And I think right now we have good momentum. Speaking of that uh, that Ige fight, uh, I promised you we could talk a little bit of shit about uh, Eric Nixick. What was it like having him corner opposite you? It was, you know, so I'm I'm like a pretty friendly guy. Me and Eric are really chummy. You know, we'll message back and forth on Instagram whenever I see him in fights. It's always a big hug. I respect him. Like, you know, I, I just I see a lot of fake coaches in this in this space, guys that are kind of doing it for the cameras, that the guys that you see them going out and getting hammered on fight week and coming in late and how prepared are they for the sessions. And it's like, it's not like a fight week to them. Like, and I'm not calling anyone in particular out, but, you know, everybody that's been on a UFC fight week can see it. It's like, wow, you're here for, this guy's about to go and try to double up his money and not get staples in his forehead and go to the hospital. And here you are getting hammered the night before the fight. Like, you know. There's a time and place for that, and I don't think it's on a UFC fight week. And and then I see, you know, guys like Eric who are, you know, in the room holding mitts and, and working hard and, you know, being at practice and, and, and bringing that energy of, of someone who's committed to it. And, you know, me and him have had conversations about that before that, you know, I think he's one of the uh, one of the good guys in um, in MMA. And it seems like he's not, he's not trying to get rich. He's not trying to get famous. He's just trying to help his guys win. And he's in the trenches, you know, with them. And, uh so I have a lot of respect for him and his team and, and what he does. And um, when we got the fight, that was the first, I was like, I, I mean, I was literally just messaged him that morning about another fight. And then we got the Ige fight and I was like, oh, geez. And I posted something on Instagram and he like DM me. He's like, hey, bro. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's, uh, you know, beers on the winner. But, you know, you know, it's all business, you know. And, um, and then we saw him at the airport when we uh, were checking in for the flight. And he walked up and I was kind of cold to him. But I'm like sitting right by Calvin and, you know, Calvin doesn't play the game like he you're trying to steal his money. So, you know, I kind of feel the same way, too. It's like, you know, we're, we're buddies, but not until the fight's over. Like when the fight's over, we can be friends again. But right now I have to go into a certain headspace and, you know, we have to get ready to go to battle and I have to get Calvin in the right headspace. And me being over here, being chummy with you, it's not real because I'm not feeling like I want to hang out with you on fight week. because I'm trying to kill your guy and I'm trying to outcoach you. And um after it's all fine you know whether i win or lose I, i'll be fine with you but like right now like I'm, I'm in that zone and and obviously calvin's in the zone and we're gonna do our own thing and so he kind of came up and he read the vibe real quick and he was like okay all right and then after the after the fight right in the cage he's like no we're all good man he's like i, I saw you guys i saw that's how we're gonna play it this week that's fine he's like i respect that and then now you know now we laugh about it you know right after the fight you know i they're about to leave. I was like, no, 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 guys, get back in here. Like, let's take a group photo. Like, you know, because right after the Jeremy Stevens win, we took a group photo with Eric and Ngannou out back. 
You know, it's like, you know, we're kind of a big MMA family. As much as we try to kill each other on a weekly, you know, every Saturday night, um, you know, we are a small knit community and we're just trying to help the, the sport grow. And, you know, um, so it felt right. You know, they were about to walk out. I was like, no, 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 get in here. Let's take a group photo. And I thought that was pretty cool um, that, you know, all our coaches and his coaches and Calvin and Dan got to take a photo in the cage together. So I thought that was pretty nice. But yeah, I didn't like, it's not cool having Eric on the other side. Uh, I was joking around today. I was like, it was offensive, but it was, uh, no, it was cool. It was an honor, man. You know, I, I've gotten to test myself against, um, you know, and obviously it's not me in there and it's not Eric in there, but like I'm competitive. And so I go through this camp, but you know, it might be midnight and I'm trying to go to bed and I'm thinking, no, I got to watch a little bit more video. I got to outwork Eric, you know? And then if it's not Eric, it's, you know, Eric Del Fiero last time. And, and next time, hopefully it's Max Holloway or Max Holloway or, uh, you know, Alex Volkanovsky's coaches. I'm going to try to be better than Eugene, you know? Um, so I look at, you know, from that point of view is like, I'm competitive as a coach. I want to outwork them. And, uh, and I want my fighters to outwork their fighters. So it's, um, you know, I, I respect him and he's from a great camp and he's got good fighters and it's cool to, you know, challenge yourself against the guys that you, you see on TV every weekend and that come from these big camps that have a lot more cycles than we do and try to, uh, you know, test myself against them. You know, I've, I've had the honor of cornering against like Faraz, Mike Brown, um, like Eric Del Furo, uh, you know, just, you know, Eric, just a, a lot of guys, you know, um, Rufus, like pretty much like every major coach I've had, you know, I've gone in there and, you know, Jackson's, all those guys, like, you know, and it's pretty cool. It's like seeing those guys that like, even before I was in MMA, seeing them on TV cornering fighters. And now I'm going head to head with them and, and trying to, you know, play this game of chess and, you know, and, and beat them. So it's, uh, keeps me, keeps me driven, I guess. Yeah. Eric is really one of the nice guys. I mean, I reached out to him. I talked to him as well. And I mean, you can really see it why fighters are successful. Like usually it comes from a, a strong camp and, and I mean, Francis Ngannou is one of the, is the scariest guy in the UFC in my opinion. And I think it really shows the work that he's done with them um, as well. And I mean, same goes to you with the success that, both with Calvin and Rob. As for Rob, I mean, obviously, he hasn't been as active as Calvin. I'm sure he's dying to get back in there. And he's kind of in a very similar spot to what Calvin was before this, where, you know, there's a little bit of a gap between those guys at the top. You know, you got the, the Marlon Marises, the Cody Garbrants. Um, I'm sure he wants to jump into that in, into that title conversation. Um, does he, do you think he has to take a step back and maybe fight a, like the equivalent of a Dan Ige in order to really make a statement? Or do you think that maybe he might be able to get a shot against a, a Cody or a Marlin or one of these, one of these guys? So, you know, he, he beat the Ricky, he beat Ricky Simone last December and he tore his ACL in that fight. So he had reconstructive surgery, I think January 22nd. And so he's about a month away from getting cleared to go into camp. So we're thinking that he'll fight probably, you know, October, November. And, uh, you no, know, he's he's riding a two fight win streak, even though it was Sergio Pettis two years ago, Ricky Simone last year. So he, he's just had a little bit of a you know a healthy scratch for one year because Lineker pulled out the week you know the night before weigh ins, and then we didn't get a quick turnaround, so we fought Ricky in December. And um, but at the end of the day, like he's still riding a win over Sergio Pettis, and he dominated him, and then threw threw Ricky Simone around the cage, who just beat up Ray Borg. So, I mean, he's coming off two big wins, you know, and I think they're kind of getting lost a little bit in the quality of wins just because they've been spaced apart and then he had an injury. But, uh, you know, Rob, 
this will be his third one-year layoff since he's been in the UFC for uh, since 2014. He had a medical suspension, then he had a healthy scratch, and then now he's got the uh, the um, the knee injury. Every single time he's come back, he's smashed a guy. You know, he came back after his first layoff and knocked Joey Gomez out, I think, in the uh, first round, and then after the next layoff, he you know beat up Ricky Simone, who was you know a lot of people thought that was a nightmare matchup for Rob because. You know, Ricky's this pressure wrestler. He's so good. And, you know, and Rob was able to take him down and, and Ricky couldn't hold him down. And, you know, he pretty much beat Ricky with one leg. Um, and all he's done this last year is level up. You know, he's done his rehab. He's been paying, you know, paying attention to the what the doctors and the, the PT staff are saying. But, um, you know, he's working a lot on, like, the mental game. And then now he's able to finally move around. And he's working on a lot of stuff. Like, he, he's getting better, even – even while doing rehab and PT, he's getting stronger. He's getting better. He's, he's got like a whole new mindset on the game. So, you know, we're really excited to see him get back in there. It really doesn't matter who he fights. Cause if you said a year ago, like what's Rob's night or a year and a half ago, what's the worst matchup for Rob? It would have been like a Ricky Simone. And then he just went out and took arguably one of the best wrestlers in the division and just kind of toyed with them with one leg. So who are you going to throw at us now? You know, there's not many guys that Rob can't beat as long as he shows up. You know, he laid a little bit of an egg during the uh, Asan South fight. He took his foot off the Gattis pedal against Pedro Munoz. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, he he took the John Lineker fight in his third UFC fight and um, in Brazil against, you know, in a soccer stadium with 45,000 people. And it was a great learning experience. He learned off that loss. And then, you know, and then he learned off the, the Munoz loss and, you know, he just gets better after losses, and then now he's riding two wins, and he's coming off a year layoff, and uh, he's done a lot of mental growth in that year. I think the time away makes you realize, like, okay, like, this is how much I love this, and it gives you a little bit of a reset, and, um, you know, the sport's so much mental, and when you're that, when you're away that long, and he gets to see what Calvin's doing, and he's been part of that, that rise with him, like, I think he's starting to see, like, how close he really is, you know, um, it's it's just cool, like him and Calvin going through this whole thing together, and you know pushing each other. So I think I think he's motivated by seeing Calvin's success. You know, in his layoff, he's seen Calvin headline two shows. He's seen him go from being ranked in the top fifteen to now be ranked six, and you know hopefully the rankings change soon and we're a little higher. But you know now Calvin's in title contention talk, and and Rob's the same thing. He's riding a two fight win streak. Depending on who we fight next, it could give us that big fight. You know, so uh, he's right there too. Uh, I'm excited about seeing what you know him, him come back and who we get. So I'm going to ask you one more, and then I'll and then I'll let you uh, get back to your night. I've been dying. I I would have paid. I would have spent everything in my bank account to go to Fight Island. As someone who was there, who lived it, who experienced it, did it live up to the hype? I mean, it's so hard because it's like obviously the whole thing was it's like a commercial for Abu Dhabi. This whole fight island it's really like the you know uae the united arab Emirates. they're really trying to go all in and like you know push abu dhabi as a you know a tourist destination and a vacation spot and everything but it's so hard because we didn't really get to see it you know we stayed in one hotel that had one road that went to the beach and that was really all you got to see and it was cool i mean and there couldn't have been a worse time of year for us to go it's like the heat of the summer 120 degrees with like 70, 80% humidity. So it was like really tough to be outside, but um, it was definitely cool. It was, like, it was just so frustrating because you're that close to, to Dubai 
you know, which you hear all about. And it's like, we couldn't go. And then there's this, like, you look at your hotel and there's this big red building, the Ferrari building, you know, like the Ferrari race or whatever it is. You want to see what's going on there, but you can't go. And then off in the distance, you see these cool buildings that you're not allowed to go over there. So it was like, it was like so frustrating because you could like, you're in this like amazing part of the world and you literally couldn't go anywhere. Um, so it was tough. And, you know, I don't think we got to eat a lot of like the local cuisine or anything like that or go to any of the fine restaurants. We were kind of, you know, stuck in the hotel and eating, you know, uh, a restricted menu on what they had there. So I don't think we got to see like what Fight Island can really be if it was actually open, you know, but um, man, we have a cool story to tell in 20 years, you know, like the time we trained through a pandemic and, and knocked out Jeremy Stevens in, in Florida. And then, and then a month later on, on one month's notice, went to Fight Island and headlined a card and uh, came back with a big W. So it's, uh, yeah, we always say we're hitting these checkpoints and we're making memories and like the wins and losses, those will always be there. But the memories that we make with our friends, uh, you know, on the long plane rides in the hotels while under quarantine and all those things, those are the things that like we're going to be talking about when we get old and the inside jokes and stuff like that. So it's, man, you know, it's been unfortunate that we're having this quarantine, but, you know, we've really taken the time to, uh, you know, do some stuff that we'll be talking about the rest of our lives. All right, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I really appreciate you coming on here and all the best to you. All the best in Rob's recovery. And, and hopefully Calvin gets a big fight, man. I'm rooting for you guys. No, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All, right, man. all the best.